This bonus episode of Social Science Fiction is a continuation of the conversation I had with John Locchiato of the Dork Web earlier this week. After finishing our discussion of Warhammer's Emperor, we moved on to a discussion of the politics of all of the factions of Warhammer 40k. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Social Science Fiction, a podcast that blends political science and nerd culture, examining the politics of science fiction and fantasy. So that wraps that up. And I I think we got a little bit of time left. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, because you're my my Warhammer lore expert, I want to talk, touch briefly on the other factions. We can talk about humanity post-Horus Heresy and post-Emperor and some of the other factions. I guess what I'm looking for, are there any good guys in this setting? Because it seems like they're all pretty bad. And I, I guess I would settle for, is there any faction that's not an outright, horrible, totalitarian nightmare? So, so let's... Let's just go right down the list. So going down the list, we got the Imperium of Man yep, as it exists t- today, today. post-Emperor. And that is two sides. So there is the Imperium of Man men, and then the Imperium of Man space marines. Right. And the, presumably, at least in theory, because you mentioned the Codex Astartes, yep. uh, pre- in theory at least... The space marines serve the Imperium of Man. They they're supposed to. Yes. They have some autonomy, but they're supposed to not interfere in the politics of humanity. They're supposed to go out and fight his enemies. Yes, and they do. But <laughs> what's made this more difficult is that the Imperium has become seventy five percent ecclesiarchy controlled. And what is the the ecclesiarchy? The religious branch. So once the emperor made this final sacrifice, it put no greater proof into the hands of the people who thought him a god than that. And they were like, well, that solidifies it. He's a god. We have to worship him because he died for our sins. And that's just the way. So things like there's a inquisitorial branch of the government and faith in the emperor is absolute. And if you're not faithful in the emperor, then you're either need to repent by being like sealed into a war machine and fight in the emperor's name until you die. Or maybe you go to the hell gulags under the Himalayan castle where there's still one or two techno barbarians who will tell you a tale from 10,000 years ago. But yeah, religious abstinence is not allowed. So we've gone from a system where atheism was imposed on everybody by force to now you've just got full-blown theocracy. Just ruled by a religious elite. Yes. And it's a futuristic space version of like Spanish Inquisition era Europe. It's yeah. just... We just we have an inquisition going around. We're going to kill you if you don't believe in the emperor. If you deviate from There's our also, official religion, you're going to be labeled a heretic yep. and burned at the stake or whatever they do to heretics and the Imperium. Obviously, as we've brought up a little bit, there's a huge suppression of information. And the idea being non-faith in the emperor leads to heresy. Heresy leads to witchcraft. Witchcraft leads to demons. Demons lead to the downfall of humanity. Right. Fear leads to anger. Yeah. Anger so, leads to So, like, hate. space yeah. marines will get killed, and they won't, you know, unless it's a chapter that specifically is 
faced demons or stuff like that before they won't tell them because if they're like a demon killed them there might be questions what do you mean demons what do they look like who do they serve are they more powerful than the emperor our god right so it's all very creepy all very theocratic so that's the imperial man and it seems like in their aesthetics the clothing you see these the characters wearing and some of the names and titles they use it, it seems like games workshop is going for a very soviet union vibe you've got commissars that kind of enforce order among the troops it's it's definitely a combination between soviet union and high fantasy gothic russia gotcha because really warhammer at its core if you take away the spaceships and the plasma it's a fantasy right, right. demons magic swords armor right, right so so that's the imperium of man really dark spanish inquisition soviet union yep uh, the other side is space marines right. which out of the loyalists because that's really all we'll cover for now out of the loyalists they vary so there are codex compliant and non-codex compliant non-codex compliant would be the space wolves where they field werewolf men that <laughs> any person on earth or part of the ecclesiarchy would immediately smell the taint of warp and sentence them to death and then you have obviously codex compliant armies like the ultramarines and the imperial fists and the dark angels but their politics can vary and i don't want to go too deep on this because it's a big hole right but for example the dark angels were one of the first chapters reunited with their Primarch. And they have a long history, longer than most other still loyal Space Marine chapters, but they were a feudal world that was besieged by beasts. So their whole culture is very chivalric and kind of based on Arthurian legend and that sort of stuff. But they are the ultimate secret keepers in warhammer 40k in that there's a question whether the dark angels running around currently are the dark angels or if they are half of the space marines forces during the horus heresy or before the horus heresy that actually turned traitor and performed a coup on their planet and there's all this misinformation and vague history as to who won that fight the <laughs> true dark angels or the renegades and who's currently in charge because there's only like three people in that entire space marine chapter who know all the secrets two of them have been lost to gotcha. the warp and never returned. And so it, it seems like every legion, every chapter of the Space Marines has their own weird, dark history, and we only know half of the facts and so on. But suffice it to say, they're still ostensibly loyal to the Imperium. Mm -hmm. They'll sometimes take orders from the Imperial government, yep. but at the same time, they kind of can do their own thing. And it sounds like they also kind of arm and supply themselves on their own. Like they have their own, yes. they have their own planets. And that Forge they, Worlds. And, right. They, so they yep. have their own planets that they recruit from and so on. So they they can kind of do what they want, which is why, I guess, groups like the, the Space Wolves, who don't even follow all of Imperial law, can kind of do their own thing and just say, screw you. What, what, what are you going to do? You can't cut us off. We're financial 
financially and infrastructurally independent from you. Yes. We don't rely on you for anything. We hunt orcas. Right. Yeah. So they are kind of two separate factions. They're mm -hmm. ostensibly together, but the Space Marines are just this military organization that's largely it's, independent. They're basically Militants Sans Frontier. Which is, you didn't play Metal Gear Solid 5, <laughs> but essentially a force that is not reliant on any nation, but will fight on their discretion on the behalf of who they need to. Okay, so that's so that's the Imperium Man. The Imperium Man seems like I, I wouldn't like them. They're, they're kind of bad guys. It's just horrible totalitarian dictatorship. The Space Marines, I, I mean, they're, they're, they're interesting, but it seems like they're also kind of just propping up this, this horrible regime, even if they're independent from them. Where else can I go for someone I can root for? Well, we got Mars. We got the Mechanicus. Right. And the and Mechanicus are feverish cult worshippers of a machine god but a lot of in the 41st millennium a lot of that ideology has been changed and retrofitted to also fit the emperor the omnissiah was a machine who became a man but is a machine and is transcendent of the flesh and he did take the form of the emperor while the emperor was here but the emperor is not the Omnissiah to its end kind of idea. So they're also just very uh, theocratic, just religious officials call the shots. They're um, very... It's interesting because half of their society is industrial machine, numbers, levers, meters, and then the other half of their society is very, again, Arthurian because the Mechanicus largely produce knights and knights which are kind of like a war machine where you entomb yourself in the night and you have full control over it they are of their own culture and work almost exclusively with the mechanicus so that side is very like i will fight you for honor and the defense of mars and and all that sort of stuff whereas the producing side is very oh, well, my calculations tell me this. Gotcha, just very bu bureaucratic, moving yeah. numbers around. Okay. Yeah. And so that covers all the humans and semi-humans and proto-humans and superhumans and so on. Yep. Okay, so we and now we got all the, the alien races, too. We got the aliens. Yeah. So first up, the orcs. Right. The just, orcs. I, I just love giant green monsters with cockney British accents. Oh, we got some fighting to do. So the orcs are fungus, and <laughs> that, that, that's right uh, the first time i read this i had to read it a couple of times they, they are literally sentient fungus yes so long long time ago there were the old ones and i think we very briefly covered the old ones in right the episode on the dork web podcast but the old ones were these non-physical energy gods that as in sci-fi like to pop around and create new life to kind of seed the planet. The orcs were one of their first experiments, presumably after the Tyranids, which we'll cover. And it is thought maybe that the Tyranid or that the orcs were designed to stem the Tyranid tide after the old ones lost control of Tyranid breeding and ferocity and all that sort of stuff. But orcs are basically... When you kill an orc, spores come out, green spores that seed the ground, and then 150, whatever be it, 75 years later, 
you get little snotlings and orcs popping up out of the ground and they just grow into orcs full-blown orcs so gotcha so so this is they were created by some super advanced race to fight off some other horrible monster and as it always goes in sci-fi they create the monster they created to fight the monster is even worse or equal uh it's tough to say who's worse they're both pretty terrible orcs are definitely they can talk they can reason they are social but they also are of the mental capacity of a child so all they want to do is fight and beat stuff up and knock each other around and if there's no one to fight they'll start fighting each other the currency that they use is teeth like you'll see a little orc sign and like wood or metal and then like black paint and it'll be like five teeth with an F, but orcs have teeth that regenerate very fast like a shark. So usually in an orc culture, the war boss will either be the strongest orc or the orc who has teeth that grow back the fastest. So they, they must experience some kind of some kind of super hyperinflation. Their currency is constantly de- being devalued because they're constantly creating more and more of it. So yeah, so so yeah, just every the price the prices of things must be well, going up constantly. Well, no, uh, their teeth rot. Oh. And yes, and like disintegrate very quickly, so you can't amass wealth in orc culture Interesting. either. It's time. It's times like this. I I wish I'd studied economics instead of political science, because <laughs> I'm sure you you could compare this to some the value kind of, of an orc tooth. Right. Yeah. It's it's you're constantly inflating the currency because you're producing more of it, but at the same time you're taking currency out of the economy because they they rot, and presumably there's no incentive to save your currency there, there's no there's not gonna be any savings because whatever you save is gonna rot right. you constantly gotta if, you, if anything comes in you gotta spend it immediately i i think john maynard Keynes, the famous economist would like this economy because he always he his big thing was the economy is a is basically one big circle just you spend money and that creates creates demand which leads to supply and keeps the economy going and then people the businesses that gets get your money use it to produce things so they hire more people and so basically as long as you're spending money the economy is going to be good and the problem is when money gets misallocated or if people save too much because if you're saving money you're taking money out of the economy you're not keeping that big engine going so he'd he'd probably like the orcs he'd probably say yeah an economy where no one an economy where no one ever saves an economy where where everybody is just constantly pumping money back into the economy that's a great system it's never going to break down yeah very interesting so they have an economy of sorts apparently they have merchants they charge teeth for the things they produce but it seems like they don't have much of a government it's just whoever the biggest yes. strongest yes. orc or the one with the most teeth they're just calls small the shots. clans and they will build settlements out of war debris because so much what happens is Imperium will encounter orcs, fight the orcs, defeat the orcs, leave, or build a city. And then a hundred years later, the orcs will come up out of the ground and be like, oh, here's a city, let's kill these people, this is now our city. And all their cities basically just look like shanty towns. You know, lots of like metal plating and wood kind of knackered and hammered. Um, But they'll either live off of Imperial ruins and scrap or they'll come out of the ground and there will be people there who they'll kill and eat and then take their place. Gotcha. So they're so they're more or less they're they're hunter gatherers with a very very pre- aggressive. Yeah. Just super super violent. They're also all latently psychic. So a big part of orc culture is whatever they think 
if they believe it hard enough, it becomes true. So there's lots of specific coloration for things in orc culture. Like you might paint red stripes on a vehicle because it makes it go faster. And, and if, if enough, enough of orcs, the orcs believe, believe that, that it's true, then it becomes uh, so because they're psychic power. So yeah, so, so like the orcs, they, so the orcs are really terrifying. They just yeah, they just, spr- they just sprout out of the ground. Yeah, like their lands to air missiles, or you know, some of their solutions for fighting in the air is an orc shooting a missile and another orc just riding on top of it and being <laughs> like, oh. Breathing isn't a problem. I'll be able to breathe. And because he thinks it, as he exits atmosphere, he's just like, oh, I can still breathe. No worries. So again, they have the minds of children, except yes. that when they when they play pretend, it actually happens. It, it, it's real. Yeah. So they're so they're terrifying. Yes. But not but not much government to speak of. It's just tri- yeah. tribes of people, and just the chief is whoever clubbed the last chief, presumably, and took over. Yeah. They have been reasoned with. And they have been made ally with on a couple of dire situations, but it's always weird. Like there's a very specific event where I think either Chaos or Eldar were attacking a planet and an Inquisitor manages to meet with like a big boss of a clan and, you know, it's like a really tense meeting and he's like, listen, like you can have this planet. We just need to stop Chaos here so that it doesn't go to the next planet. If you leave us alone, we'll leave you alone. And they're like, we're getting ready to fight. We just want to fight you. And they're like, listen, we promise you, you'll get a better fight out of the demons. And they were like, okay, but we have a condition of our own. We want your hat. And he gave them the hat, one of those big Inquisitor hats. And the Imperium and the Orcs both fought off demons. So they're... So they're incredibly irrational, but they can be negotiated with. You don't know what they're going to want, Yeah. but but you can talk to them. Yeah, probably not marine to orc, but inquisitor to big boss, probably. So the orcs, they're a lot of fun. Yeah. They're, they're fun. They're interesting to think about, but I don't think I'd want to be an orc. So, so, so what, let's so go to the other got? side. Yeah. Tyranids. Tyranids are alien from alien, right? Yep. But also, if there was an entire planet with different climate zones and the alien from Alien had to adapt to each of those zones. So there are Tyranids that look like aliens and those are called gene stealers and they're really fast and run down and claw people up. There are flying Tyranids that have like bat wings and like five mouths and claws and you know they would be in regions with trees and stuff like that. There are Tyranids with artillery cannons and pieces built into their back and they shoot giant blobs of mucus and goo or acid. They're basically a hive mind gotcha. beast faction. Gotcha. So they're monsters but there there is intelligence. There is a central intelligence for each hive. And that is usually in a ship, a living ship somewhere in the sky. But every once in a while, you know, one of those things will drop down. And they're just the most giant, meanest, carapace, bone sword, spiked tongue with acid monster that you would see. All right. So they're kind of like the the bugs in Starship Troopers yeah. where maybe each individual or one... Or the Zerg from Star Trek. Right. Each individual is just a mindless monster, but collectively there is an intelligence and presumably there are a specific cast of them maybe that are the intelligent ones that guide yeah, the, the hive. Yeah, there is a very specific breed of, you know, the commanding Tyranids. Like you couldn't have 
a what would be on the front lines as a melee unit like a gene stealer would never be leading the Tyranids. It's always a specific, like a queen bee type of deal. And that thing has knowledge of itself and individualism and everything else is, you know, its thoughts, desires, wants are passed to others. They have also made some evolutionary advancements as of after the Horus Heresy and all that stuff that there are other smaller queen bee sentry types that will accompany them and they will have you know the pheromones or the the scent or the synaptic response that the leading organism wants so that it doesn't have to be there or within range to keep that hive mind so they're they're interesting but they they really don't have a politics right because each each hive is kind of its own individual organism they're not arguing over anything no but you could be fighting on the side of hey we're just animals trying to exist and you know we're following our natural instinct prerogative which is eat breed expand okay and I think the only major faction that's left, we could talk about, well, we could talk about chaos, but I guess they're just the evil guys. They, you know, worship the demons and so on. I don't think I want to be them. There's the Tau, I believe, and what else? Uh, and the, oh, the Eldar, right? Tau, Eldar, and Necrons. Gotcha. The Necrons are kind of space skeletons. And it sounds like they are also just kind of skeletal beings. They really don't have a politics either. It's just we want to cr- they do. kill all living things. Do they? They do. Uh, it was it was once thought that they were wake up and kill, but they do. They do have politics. So what? Not, so how do they rule themselves? Yeah. So basically, way back in the day, they used to be the Necrontier. And they were their own species before humanity. Right. And we uh, talked about in your podcast, they got tricked yes. into turning themselves into these spirits in machines. And now they live yep. forever, but it's a horrible existence. Yes. So once they realized the trick, they rose up against the Satan and defeated them. But not before the Satan had essentially taken away their individuality and sealed them into walking war machine corpse bodies. Mm-hmm. Now, for a long time, it was thought that it was just kind of robotic prerogative to wake up and then kill. But what we've learned in that time is when the Necron was still the Necron tier, their ambition was to create something along the lines of the Imperium. Now, after all of this history that had happened to them, their goals now are we've killed our gods we're strong we still want to create our own imperium in this space that used to just be us the old ones and the satan but now all these other factions who have reclaimed our worlds that we were sleeping on so what we wanted to is a find a way to become organic again and then B, get all of these non necrontier descendants off of our planets and bring the walls back up so they have goals. They have an agenda beyond crush, kill, destroy. Yes. Do they, it, but it sounds like they don't have much of a government. They kind of all are of one mind. They don't really fight amongst themselves. They or... have leaders who still have their sense of self, but your troops and just generic soldier, they lost their sense of self a long time ago after that body losing process. So only like the leaders and the really strong-willed remember their life before they were a necron gotcha and of them they're all pretty much on the same page we want to yeah kill all the we want to retake our planets and find a way to get our flesh back 
Okay, so that covers them. And we got left the Eldar and the Tau. So the Tau are pretty interesting. The Tau are the most recent faction that Games Workshop had added to Warhammer. And it's almost a direct slap in the face to Blizzard and StarCraft. And the reason is very, very short. Back in the day, before Warcraft, StarCraft, any of those games, Games Workshop went to Blizzard it was like, hey, you make some decent games, especially of the real-time strategy genre. We would love for you to make a Warhammer game, Fantasy, and a Warhammer 40k game, RTS. No one knows how much actually happened, but the common belief is a demo or something was shown. Games Workshop didn't like it and said, nah, we're good. And then after that, they went on to make Warcraft, which... When you look at Warhammer Fantasy, so much of the lore of Warcraft and Warhammer Fantasy is parallel. And then Starcraft, which obviously Starcraft, the Zerg, are basically the Tyranids, and humanity is basically the Space Marines. Huh. So I, I did not know any of this. That's interesting. Yes. So the Protoss were one of the very few, I guess, unique creations of StarCraft. And when GW needed a new faction, they were <laughs> like, cool, two can play this game. Protoss? Nah. These guys are Tau. They're blue as well and have mastery over crazy technology, but they're not the Protoss. So the Tau, <laughs> the first time that they were encountered was during the Great Crusade, and they were pre-evolution so they were still primates not sense of self no language no anything and then fast forward to like a hundred years later and you know imperium comes into contact with one of their expansions so their evolutionary speed is never been documented that fast before but their whole deal is the greater good. That's kind of their mantra. So pure Tau are part of either a fighting caste, a social caste, or a political caste. And every planet that they go to, they offer them to join in the greater good or to kill whatever is there. And if the inhabitant of that planet joins, they find a very specific niche in Tau society for that specific alien to do. So, you know, easy example, four-legged aliens that are just basically a torso, four legs and a head, their only job in society is to carry palaquins because they're made for it. That being said, everybody in Tau society does enjoy a pretty good basis of life, and they will take anybody who wants to join the greater good. I mean, very recently, there was a story written about the Tau tricking a bunch of Imperial Guardsmen to joining them, and then they killed them, but that's the only story I've seen where the Tau didn't just take anybody who wanted to join their ranks. The Tau are interesting to me because they seem to be the only ones in this whole setting that aren't completely xenophobic. They actually want to bring other species into the mix. They're welcome to join the society as long as you sign on to their rules and their ideology. And so their political system and their culture itself, it seems like it's a very socialist style system. It's very it's very much the government runs everything. It sounds like they run the economy. They tell you what you're going to do, where you're going to work and so on. But we're also going to provide a certain standard of living for everybody, except generally socialism, the idea is we're going 
going to create some degree of equality for everybody. Here, it's not, everybody's not equal. Different castes are going to enjoy different standards of living. But I guess everybody gets at least a, a minimum standard yes. of living. Yeah. So sort of a, a socialist system with a caste system that might have come out of Hinduism. Yeah, you know, India. You're, you're, yeah. Although I guess in the case of the Tao, you're not born into your caste. It's... If you're pure Tao, you, you are. are. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So that so that's like Hinduism. You're born into a into a caste, and that's it. That's going to define your role in life. But if you join up, if you're indoctrinated into the system, then they'll just find a job for you, and they'll assign you a caste, and then you're part of Tao society. Mm -hmm. So so Tao is both a species and this civilization. So there are Tao, the species, but there are also human Tao and yes. uh, and other alien. Tau. Okay, very very interesting. Yep. So they seem more appealing in that I guess they're not killing everybody not like them, but it, I guess they're like the Imperium, like everybody else. It's we have an ideology. If you don't sign on, we're going to kill you, right? Yes. So even they are very much we are imposing this on you. We're making yes. a little more welcoming if you're an alien, but it's still do what we say or you're dead. Yeah, and what's interesting is. No one knows if it's just because of the rapid development of their technology or for another reason, but they have not implemented or reached the point of warp travel. So they do what's called expansion spheres, where they fly basically almost a world ship to a specific point in space and expand and build off of that. And every planet that they encounter or ship that they encounter, they're like, hey, we're about to increase the radius of this ring. You'll be in Tau space. Do you want to join up with us or do we have to kill you? Which, you know, I guess that makes them sound bad, but they are definitely <laughs> like the closest thing to a friendly force in the 41st millennium. But Got then there's the Eldar. Yes, so last, so last major faction that we can talk about that might have some appealing political agenda, the Eldar. Yes, so there are four types of Eldar. There are just your basic Eldari. Those guys, you know, years and years ago, their planet had a huge space orgy. This birthed a chaos god. And basically they were like, hey, we need to get out of here right now like this is this is bad and i think it was even right before it happened there was a vision and like hey this is bad we gotta get out of here like this planet's gonna be gone but the majority of the eldar did not heed the warning so a couple of craft worlds so you know a crafted world that they fly around never have a specific home because they left before all that crap went down but the eldari are basically a fallen race they used to be right before humanity the dominant players in the galaxy and before them it was the necrons but they have some of the best technology in the universe because they had so many years being at the top but they are very much a secretive spiritual society and they very much turn their nose up to help out of everybody, the Eldari are definitely the most likely to work with humanity, and they have on many occasions, but they've also engaged in fights with them over, you know, like, hey, this is the planet where this Eldari prophet went and received this vision, so you need to get the hell off this planet or we're gonna bomb you, that sort of stuff. But they have people who can, like, look into the future. They're very psychically adept and psychically aware. So 
So it seems like they have relatively noble goals. They want to fight the forces of chaos and so on. But they also, I, I, I've heard they're, they're called basically space elves, right? And they have kind yep. of, they embody a lot of the tropes of elves where they have good intentions, but they're also kind of arrogant. Very and, arrogant. And obnoxious. Yep. And it's like, you almost don't, even if they're, even if you're on the same side, you almost don't want to work with them because it's like, guys, stop being so high and mighty. I yeah. mean, that's the whole thing. They're like, oh, we, when humanity was still primates on the planet, and as they say, they like to call humans Mon K. So they say, ah, oh, when the Mon K was still in the forests on their planet, we had the mightiest civilization in the stars. So that's the Eldar. So that's the Eldari. Then there is the Harlequins. And the Harlequins are Eldari, but they have specifically given themselves over to the laughing god. And the only thing I know about the, the Harlequins is when I was, every time they showed up when I was playing Dawn of War, I was always friggin' pissed because I knew it was going to be a tough fight because they're so obnoxious in a fight in the video games. That's all I remember about them. Yeah, their, their whole deal is basically, you know, like, life's terrible, so laugh. Like, the only thing they're the is laugh. They're basically the Joker. But they used to be like specifically evil and they used to be specifically good now you can put harlequins in whatever army you want that's eldari or mm. field an army that's just harlequins but they look like harlequins they wear like drama masks and have like hats with little bells on them and like purple jumpsuits with yellow and green and red stripes they look like Cirque du Soleil performers but they're essentially the ultimate nihilists to the point where they can't even be nihilistic anymore <laughs> so just life has no meaning embrace the nothingness of it all yeah basically gotcha the last faction is a new one and it's called the Yanari and the Yanari can also kind of like Harlequins be a mix of Craftworld, Eldari, Harlequins, Pure Yanari, or even the Dark Eldar. But the idea behind this faction is a couple years ago, there was this prolific event and a prophecy essentially came to be. There was the equivalent of like a saint who died and then returned with all these crazy powers and was basically like, yo, started my own faction of elves. You guys aren't getting enough done. We're going to actually start making good and all the stuff that we're supposed to. Like, obviously I've been chosen by Yvette or whatever the god's name is. <laughs> and this person has basically said she like doesn't matter whether you're a harlequin or a craft world like we have to start thinking about ourselves as one eldari and focusing on keeping eldari in the galaxy because all of this infighting is just making our fallen empire smaller and smaller and smaller they're kind of a, a nationalist force for unification we want to reunite the eldari people yes. into a into a single powerful state again yes Gotcha. So how are they being received by the rest of the Eldar? Mixed. Obviously, Craft Worlds, Harlequin, and Drukhari, which are the Dark Eldar, are all still their own factions. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the political and war leaders of those factions haven't been swayed. I don't know if that's you know, a result of Warhammer is a game and we always want those factions to remain so that people can play right, them. Right, 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 Or if it's speaking to the actual lore. Right. But what I can tell you is 
everybody's pretty okay with working with the Yanari when needed. And if the Yanari contacts the craft world Eldari and says, you know, we need people, it's not negatively received. It might not always happen based on their own situation, but everyone's kind of okay with working with the Yanari as long as they don't try anything weird. Because some people are like, oh, powers... I know people who have powers. They're possessed by demons. <laughs> so... <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so they're kind of a militant social movement that kind of does their own thing, but they can also operate within the larger Eldari society. Yes. And they're not going to be suppressed necessarily, even if they're not listened to. Correct. Gotcha. So I think that, that covers all the non-chaos factions. So we'll end with, they all They all seem to be pretty brutal. You're not finding a democracy in the mix. You're not finding anybody. No. Any, you're not finding but, any big fans of human rights or sentient being rights. Who are considered the good guys in this setting? Like, who do you root for if you're going to root for somebody? It all depends. It is really, I think, a matter of you find who looks cool to you. <laughs> and usually they will play and have some lore that reinforces why you thought they looked cool. Like, so for me, you know, I, if I'm thinking specifically on the side of good, because a lot of times I do play chaos, but I really like the Sons of Medusa. And the Sons of Medusa are a offshoot chapter of the Iron Hands, which is a loyalist space marine chapter. And I like them because they have all these robotic limb replacements and fake eyes and crazy plasma gun arms on hinges and they're like bright green, which I love. So I was like, these guys are cool. Look into them, realize their history is they created a machine that could predict the future. And then the ecclesiarchy was like, whoa, that could be something that would go against what the emperor says is okay. So then they waged a war with the ecclesiarchy. And, you know, at the end of it all, the ecclesiarchy was like, eh, we need more space marines. You're forgiven. Don't ever talk about this again. Back to war. So it sounds like I'm going about this all wrong. Uh, you're supposed to go by aesthetics. You, you pick the, you, or, or aesthetics or mechanics. You pick the faction that you think looks cool or that plays the way you want to play. And then you go and look at the lore and find reasons to, to cheer for them. Yes. <laughs> and what I would also say is we've been at the thousand foot view because obviously we're talking about the faction. And to echo Warhammer's mission statement, in the world of grim darkness, there is only war. So at the thousand foot view, these are mostly bad people. But once you zoom in, you can find like that one faction or like that one hero and his squad that you like and you align with ideology wise. Gotcha. Good stuff. Yeah, always. Well, I think we we have covered this as thoroughly as we can in a two-episode special edition double podcast. It's like three hours of Warhammer. Right, It's right. almost a game. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you're a Warhammer fan, please... I'm saying this at the end so people won't be able to take advantage of this, but if you're a Warhammer fan and you're listening to this part right now, put this on and then go play yourself a game of Warhammer. This can be the background to a whole Warhammer match. Yeah, and I will just very quickly say playing Warhammer is really hard if you've never done it before. So you don't need to spend a million dollars and you don't need to read three rule books. If you use Discord or you go onto the web, 
just look up the tabletop simulator Warhammer Discord and there are people like myself and other friends of mine who are happy to teach people how to play. And also, you don't need to spend a million dollars on physical pieces before you know if you like the army you picked. That has been a big bonus for me getting into this. So great, nice plug for the game at the end, encouragement to get into it. Games Workshop, give us money. Games uh, Workshop, <laughs> you know me, I'm the dork web. I ask for it at least twice a month. Give it to Steve as well. I think that's. I think that says it all. That was part two of my conversation with the Dork Web's John Locchiato about the politics of Warhammer 40k. I'd like to once again thank John for coming on my show and for having me on his. If you're interested in hearing more of what John has to say at the Dork Web, you can find him at thedorkweb.net and on Instagram at dorkwebpodcast. I encourage you to check it out. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Social Sci-Fi Show, on Facebook at Social Science Fiction Podcast, on Instagram at Social Sci-Fi, and you can email me at socialsciencefictionshow at gmail.com. Always open to questions, comments, critiques, and suggestions for new topics for the show. Thanks for listening. New episode and new topic coming this Tuesday. <laughs>